0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. All right, if you'd grab your Bible, open it to Exodus chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's okay. There's a hardback black one in the pew rack in front of you, and um, So open that up, second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and then the third chapter. Also, if you don't own a Bible, uh, please do us a favor. You're more than welcome to take that Bible. It's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a Bible, and if that one's not your color and you want a different one, I promise if you come to me and ask me for a Bible, I'll buy you one. Uh, I make that promise to you. I believe that everybody should have God's Word available to them, and we want you to read it. Now, let the word get in you as you get in the word. All right? You with me? Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 is where we'll be today. And over the past handful of weeks, we've been in Exodus, I think five weeks thus far. And we've asked a question of the Bible, of the book of Exodus Who am I? Who am I? And so we looked at Exodus chapter 1 through chapter 3 so far and answered the question, who am I? Week 1, we talked about that I am a part of God's people. And God does that. God makes me a part of His people, not by because I'm good, not because I was born into it, but rather because of His grace, because of this thing we call at church, a new birth or salvation that, that God saves us into His family. He doesn't just save us from something, but also into his kingdom, his family, and we're made a part of his family by no merit of our own. The second thing we looked at is that I am God's workmanship, and that was a big theme for this week, and so it fit right in line with Kids Camp, that God has created us and designed us, wired us uniquely, and fitted us for such a time as this, that God has made the day for you and you for the day. And that if we ever understood that He has made the day for you and you for the day, that we would live in this world as dangerous weapons in God's arsenal, and we would, Satan would hate it when our feet hit the floor every morning. He would hate it. He would go, oh no, they're awake again. Oh no, Seneca Baptist has left the building. Look out. And we just believe that God so lives inside each one of us that He could do that if we lived in His identity. We talked about... Now, uh, what God has put in us is sometimes buried by our past, our shame, our guilt, the things that we've experienced, our, our, the difficulties and trials and tribulations of life, that, that if we don't deal with our past, if we don't bury our past, our past will end up burying us. And, and so we just talked through this over the last few weeks, how God drew, drew Moses out of Egypt, into the wilderness to draw Moses into his very heart. And last week, how God sought out Moses, that he might send out Moses. And so we are sought out, that God is coming for each one of us. And I just want you to know here, whether you have been uh, a member of God's family a long time, uh, you didn't become a part of that family because you acted first. God acted first. God came for you like a lost sheep. He sought you out. And he did it in such a way to send you out. Today, if you're not a part of God's family yet, you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are here today by no accident. And God, right now, if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted Jesus, make no mistake, God is seeking you today. And if you feel a little uncomfortable even being in this place, that that uncomfortableness comes from the very thing that we're going to talk about today. And so we're going to ask the question, again, asking the question over the next few weeks, who is God? And so this is what the book of Exodus is doing for us. Who am I? Who is God? And who are we? How do we exist as a, the people of God? So who am I? We addressed those in the last five weeks. You can listen to those sermons online at our, on our website or Facebook or whatever. But now we're addressing the question, who is God? And the first thing that we learn about God in the book of Exodus comes out of chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read it together. Uh, Jordan did a great job reading that scripture. I'm very thankful for you. She said, she read, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord, and we talked about this a little last week, this is not just an angel, but this is, in fact, God. And how do we know this is God? Now, If you keep reading, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in, the, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And then it says, verse 4, two reasons why we know Uh, this is God. The first one is in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. So the angel of the Lord in in the bush is God in the bush. Okay, And then it keeps on reading, Moses, Moses, and he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your shoes off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Now, if this was an angel, does an angel have the kind of holiness that would make the ground around him holy? No. Only God has the ability to transfer holiness into something. And we're going to see that today. He does not just have the ability to transfer his holiness into a place like he did here But God has the ability to transfer His holiness into a people like you and me. So that's what we're looking at today. Who is God? The first question that we want to ask and we want to answer today, God is holy. God is holy. So holy, verse 6 says, He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid. So, Somebody said, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, A.W. Tozer intends to say what we think about God is really defining about us and how we live. It is one of the most important things about us. And if you ask a hundred people what they think about God, you're going to get at least a hundred answers especially in the world in which we live. But the Bible clearly reveals who God is, and one of the ways that He is revealed is holy. And so A.W. Tozer continues, he says, Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. And and can I just tell you, people, there's never been a time in our lives, church family, where we need to have higher thoughts about God than today. Okay? Okay. So, holy, holiness. That's the first thing that I want you to see in this passage. Look at verse 4. He says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So what do we mean when we say The idea of holy. God is holy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, It means two things. We sang this in the song just a minute ago. Perfect in power, love, and purity. So the first thing I want you to see is he's perfect in character and in nature. Perfect in character and nature. Now, there's no flaws in him. There's no sin in God. There are no shortcomings in God. God has nothing that he's trying to better himself in. Now, how many of you can relate to that? You understand being perfect and pure and holy. None of us, right? All of us, we're works in progress. And if anybody in here claims to have it all together, beware of lightning from that person, okay, or coming down on that person, right? None of us are there. We all have flaws and shortcomings and failures, but God is perfect. He is holy. So that leads us to the second point, that God being holy means to be set apart, To be set apart. That means set apart from everything else in all creation. That there is nothing or no one like God. There's nothing like Him. There's no one like Him. He is set apart from all other creation. He is completely other than. And I can't remember who I read this week said His holiness is alien holiness. Because it is out of this world kind of holy. It's alien holiness. Now, let me put that uh, together for us. Uh, many of you, when you were growing up, you had regular clothes, and then you had Sunday clothes. How many of you are out there? Yeah. Regular clothes, Sunday clothes. Now, could you wear Sunday clothes any other day other than Sunday? No. It doesn't matter how much you wanted to play in your Sunday shoes. Because you loved them, you couldn't because they were holy. What I mean is they were set apart for a specific purpose. They were set apart from all the rest. Now, at our house, we have we have uh, regular shoes and we've got Miles' play shoes. Miles says, Dad, can I wear these shoes? And I say, Miles, buddy, nobody wants to see those flip flops. Nobody does. They're set apart for an entirely different purpose. We love those flip flops, but they have seen their better day, haven't they, Miles? He says, No, okay. So when the Bible talks about God's holiness, there are a few verses that really resonate with me when we talk about God's holiness. One is in Isaiah chapter 6, and we mentioned this verse last weekend. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is brought into God's very presence, and there are angels around the throne of God, and he sees the throne before him, and he says this, the angels, one called to another and said, holy, holy Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His, what? Glory. And then in Revelation chapter 4, so we've got the Old Testament, we've got the New Testament, we've got a prophet in the Old, and John the Apostle in the New sees a vision of heaven, and it says, and there were four living creatures surrounding the throne. Each of them with six wings who were full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say, say it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, when the Bible reveals that God is holy, it doesn't just say that He's holy, but it says that He's holy, holy, holy. Now, that wasn't because somebody thought one day, you know what would make a really good song one day? No, that wasn't it. Now, Sometimes our English Bibles try to smooth out uh, some of the the Hebrew or Greek language because it's kind of choppy for us. Let me give you a couple Old Testament instances when that happens. So one time in the Old Testament when uh, it's talking about the gold of the temple, the gold of the temple. Now in the English Bible it says that it was pure gold, pure gold. Now, but if you read the Greek there, or the Hebrew there, it says that it's gold, gold. We say pure gold, it says gold, gold. There's, there's another time in the Old Testament where it's talking about deep or great pits in the English language. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't say great or deep. It says they're pit pits. They're, it's not a pit, it's a pit pit. You know what I mean? Now, we do that sometimes in our language, don't we? You jump into the water... And you go, is it cold? No, it's cold, cold. Have you ever done that before? Right? Is it hot or is it hot, hot? We do that sometimes. We do that sometimes in in our language. And so here's the point. The point is to emphasize something. The Bible, the author, God himself, is repeating it for us. So to emphasize it, gold, gold means pure gold. Pit, pit means great or deep pit, right? Right? And hot, hot means real hot, right? So what's God trying to communicate with us here? It's not just that he's holy, and it's not just that he's holy, holy. But for emphasis, God is saying, when you talk about who I am, I want you to understand I'm not just holy. And I'm not just holy, holy, but I am holy, holy, holy. No other time when talking about God's nature does it describe Him with three of the same adjectives. But in these two places, He is not just holy, not just holy, holy, but He is holy, 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 as the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And nothing is like it. The angels in heaven are constantly around the throne beholding the glory of the Lord. They look upon Him day after day and all they can cry out is, Holy Holy, holy. Now, I, I just I need you to let that sink in for a minute. That God is perfectly pure. He is perfect in nature character all of the time. His holiness has no beginning and no end. And the God of the Bible is infinitely holy in all of His ways. But can I just tell you something? We, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we try to tear down God's holiness on a regular basis. And Sometimes we do that. Rather than worshiping the God of the Bible, we create a God in our own image. We create a God in our own image. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible reveals God as He is, but God being as He is makes us as we are really, really uncomfortable So we try to sand the rough edges of God so that He is easier to handle. We we try to sand off the things about God that, that might make us feel uncomfortable so that He is easier for other people to understand or to palate or to take. I don't know if you've read the Bible lately, but God's Word is sometimes difficult to understand and even more difficult to live out. And so we lower that standard. We get rid of certain parts of the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable. You ever heard somebody say, "Well, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't know how I feel about that part of the Bible. And, and sometimes we get rid of this rule, this commandment in, because this commandment's easier to live by. I can handle this one, but I don't really like that one. And so we make a God in our own image then rather than worship, Him who is infinitely holy and great. And so He is holy. When we look upon Him, He is holy, holy, holy. He is perfect in holiness. And I believe one of the downfalls of of each one of us, and especially churches, is that we have forgotten or ignored or rejected the sense of God's perfect holiness. So... leads us to this idea that, that God's holiness and our humanity have to work together somehow and we've got to figure out what, is, what does it mean for a human like me to live for and worship and relate to a God who is holy, holy, holy. So God's holiness and our humanity. So here's what I want you to see. God's holiness creates a human problem that we cannot solve. God's holiness creates a problem that we cannot solve. It creates a problem for us that we can't solve. Here's what I mean by that. Anytime someone in the Bible comes in contact with God in His holiness, they realize immediately the depth of their sinfulness. What happens? Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. God says, Don't come near. Take the sandals off of your feet, for the place that you're standing is holy ground. God says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what he says, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So in the very presence of a holy, holy, holy God, Moses realizes, Oh my gosh, Does he know what I did? I don't deserve. I I know what I did. I know how I killed that man in Egypt. I know how I ran away from God's people. I know how I've I've just gone on to live my own life. And Moses hid himself from God. He couldn't even look at God. Moses saw his holiness and immediately his sinfulness and his past were brought to light. And that's what God's holiness does in our lives. It's like a giant flashlight that, that, that looks around in the depths of our heart that when we come in contact, there's no way our sin can stay in the darkness. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. And when you come in contact with a holy, holy, holy God, your sin will be in the spotlight before Him. And I, let me go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, God says, or Isaiah says, he sees this thing, this vision. He sees it, and this is what he says in verse 5. And I said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. Some versions say undone. Other versions say I am ruined. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we come in contact with the the holiness of God, our sin comes forefront in our lives. Are you with me, church? And so here's what I want you to see. He says, woe to me for I'm lost. Okay? Okay. That, 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 that word lost or ruined or, or undone literally is the term for unraveling a garment. Unraveling a garment. Have you ever had a, 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 one of those threads coming out of your shirt? Uh, or if you've knitted a sweater, you had a little little stitch coming out and, and, and you, you started pulling on that thread and you're like, this is the thread that never ends, right? And, and sooner or later, the hem of your garment is undone. That's what's happening to Isaiah right now, standing in the presence of God. He's, He's being unraveled by the God who created him, by the God who knitted him together in his mother's womb. He's being unraveled in this moment. Isn't that a crazy thought? He's being unraveled. And here's what's so cool He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. What is Isaiah's job description by God? He is a what of God. A prophet. And the prophet says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Prophets speak on behalf of God. And he says, the very thing that I am defined by, the very job description I have, the very thing that I'm most proud of being in my life is a prophet of God, and in the very presence of His holiness, I realize how sinful my mouth is in comparison to Him. I find out that even the thing that I'm strongest at is weak in His presence. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King. Well, that's the Old Testament, Ryan. Surely the New Testament's different, right? Surely Jesus is different. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Jesus does this great miracle, lots of fish in one net. All my fishermen friends are like, yeah, I want to do that. He, all these, these fish in a net, he catches them, and this is what it says about Peter. When Simon Peter saw the miracle, it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I thought Jesus was love. Yes, he is love, but he is also the perfect revelation of God's holiness for us to see. So, Jesus can only be loving because he is also holy, holy, holy. So, have you ever felt like hiding from God because of your sin? Have you ever felt like you are undone, you're lost, your life is being unraveled before the presence of holy God? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever come to a place where, like Peter, you said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord? Look at me. I want everybody's eyes on me. If you've never felt that way before, it it could be because you've never come into the presence of a holy God. If you've never felt undone by God's holiness it's because you've never come into His holiness. If you always feel like you measure up, if you always feel like you're good enough, if you always feel like you can do it, you've never come into God's holy presence. He is holy, and that creates a problem for mankind that we cannot solve. But here's the good news. I love the book of Isaiah, especially his passage in Isaiah. And and so here's what happens. After Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. One of those angels, one of those angelic beings grabs a coal from the altar of God, flies to Isaiah's lips and touches his lips with the hot coal from the altar and says, look at what it says, verse 7. He touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, Isaiah sees his sin right out in front in the spotlight. And where God reveals his sin, God has an answer for his sin. When his sin is revealed in the presence of a holy God, guess what's also revealed? Mercy from God's altar. Grace from God's altar. A a payment of atonement for God's altar. Right there, from the very presence of God, not only comes the revelation of sin, but also the the sacrifice for sin. God will pay for and take away the sin that He reveals when you're in His presence. So if you've never felt like you wanted to, to just hide under a rock in the presence of God, if you've never felt overwhelmed with God's holiness? Oh, friend, I just want to tell you there's a decent chance that you've never trusted Christ. That you've never been saved. Because you can't see how great His salvation is until you see how great your sinfulness is. And that happens in God's presence. God will pay for your sin and take away your sin and wash you of your sin. And He does that through Christ. Let me read another scripture for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. And I want to confront us today a little bit. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's us. And then he gives a bunch of categories to how to know if I'm unrighteous. And we fall in some of these categories. He says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy... Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. And he says, and, and, and if you say this way, none of you can inherit the kingdom of God. But, verse 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that good news? That word sanctified is the Greek word that means you have been made holy. You were sanctified. You were made holy. How were you made holy? You couldn't solve sin's problem that God's holiness caused. So there was another way that God had to fix your problem. And God did it by sending Jesus to wash you and to make you holy. So Jesus came to show us our holiness, or His holiness. He came to show us our sin. Then Jesus came to die for our sin and to make us holy. In other words, on the cross, He withdrew your sin into His account. And he deposited, through faith, Jesus deposits his holiness into yours. He withdrew your sin into himself, and he deposited his holiness into you. How does that happen? By faith. So if you're out there going, nah, I can do this myself. Let me tell you, you don't understand salvation. Holiness, my holiness, my holy standing before God, the holiness that I'll, I'll have to, to, to get into heaven by, that holiness doesn't come because I've earned it. That holiness comes because Jesus did and gave it to me. And can I just tell you, this is one reason that we can know that Christianity is true. This is one reason that we can know that Christianity is true because we would not have made up a religion like this that says to you and me god is huge he is holy 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 it makes much of god and it makes little of us we wouldn't have made that up would we we'd have made up a religion where god's little and he's in the background and there's a big it's us in the forefront we wouldn't have made up a religion that says you can't save yourself but god can We would not have made that up. We would have made up a religion where you can do it. But God gave us the Bible that says you can't. So Jesus did. And if you'll trust Him, He'll deposit His doing, His holiness, into your sinful account. And your holiness will be infinite. As Jesus is holy, holiness is infinite. So it creates a human problem that we can't solve. Secondly, it creates a standard to strive toward. Now, here's, uh, I think, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 is up on the screen. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will be able to see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So you want to see Jesus, you want to see God, you want to be with Him in heaven, it requires holiness. Now, there are two kinds of holiness. There's a holy standing, there's a record of holiness, and there's a lifestyle of holiness. And so we need to understand the difference between the record of holiness, my standing before Him is not based on what I do, it's based on what Jesus did. I can't do it myself. Jesus did it for me. So that holy standing, that holy record, my debt is paid in full, and His holiness is attributed into my account, right? Standing and holy living. So if I ask you, what's your confidence in going to heaven, and you start listing out all the things that you do, you've missed it, friend. You've missed the point. That that if you're trying to get in heaven based on your own holiness, your holiness will always fall short of God's holy, holy, holiness. But there is a kind of lifestyle holiness that God desires for you and me. So He doesn't save you that you can live however you want. He saves you to be holy. He's made you holy, now live it out. And so there's this seed of holiness that's been planted in you, Good soil, let that seed bear fruit. Live out, I think Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. So work out in your life what God has put into your life. So there is a standard of holiness that God desires His people to live for. Jesus says it this way, you know a tree by its fruit. And so if God has made you a Christian tree, guess what? You're going to bear Christian fruit. If God has made you a holy tree, He's going to produce in you a holy kind of fruit. If God has made you a tree of His Holy Spirit, then He will bear a fruit of the Spirit in you. So there's a it creates a standard to strive toward. And last, it, it teaches us about our relationship to the world. I want to go back to Exodus chapter 3. And I, I don't have this... This verse, and I didn't read this verse yet, but in verse 10 it, it says this Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 says, Come now, Moses, and come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is holy, and God is going, God Himself going with Moses into Egypt, into slavery to redeem His people. And that's exactly what he does with Moses. Moses, you have met me on the mountain. I've made you holy. And I want you now to go back into that which I rescued you from. But this time, I want you to go as an instrument of my redemption, as an instrument of my salvation. Pastor Samuel, sitting right here, he, he has this phrase that just etched in my brain. He always says, the problem is not when the boat is in the water. Well, the problem is when the water gets in the boat. So he wants, God has so ordained it that you would be in the world, but not filled with the world. That you would, you would relate to the world as someone who is alien to the world. Heaven's your home. His holiness is put inside of you that we would live that out before people. There's the difference between thermometers and thermostats. You put a thermometer on the wall, it'll read the wall, and it will change and mimic the temperature of the room. You put a thermostat on the wall, it will read the temperature of the room, and it will change the temperature within the room. Children, kids camp, God has created you for that. He's not created you to be thermometers. He's created you to be thermostats. He wants you to go and live in the world in such a way that you begin to change the temperature in the room. So He set apart Moses for this special purpose. And in Exodus 3, what we see is God came into the world to reveal Himself to the world, to rescue His people from slavery and to restore His people to right relationship with the Holy God. And Jesus came for the same thing, to reveal God to the the world, to rescue people out of the world, from the world, and to restore those people back to God. And that's what he wants to do in you and me. R.C. Sproul says it this way, he says, God's kingdom will never come where where his name is not considered holy. Holy. God's kingdom will never come where His name is not considered holy. And whether that's in your own heart, or your home, or our community, or our world, God's kingdom will not come where His name is not honored as holy. You want to see a great revival at Seneca Baptist? A revival, a, revival, a spiritual revival always comes when a people set themselves to the holiness of God. You want to see a revival in your heart? Get a better understanding of God's holiness and revival will come. God's kingdom will come into you like never before when you see his holiness. So, here's my questions for us today that I want you to consider. I believe that there are people in this room who have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your confidence and dependence is still on trying to earn your way into the heaven of a holy, holy, holy God. And the Bible says it's impossible. And you'll die trying, and you'll spend an eternity separated from Him because you are trying to do what only God can do. You are trying to make God in your image. So there are some of you today that need to abandon your good works for salvation. You need to abandon your own attempts at personal holiness to try to impress holy, holy, holy God. And you need to trust in God's holiness through Jesus deposited into your account. He did that by dying on the cross and raising on the third day. Some of you in this room need to make that decision today. Others of us, we need to run back to His holiness Church family, we need to revere him as holy. And last, he has set you apart, made you holy on purpose for a purpose. So, would you stand with me? I'm going to ask, as you stand, Miss Margaret's going to come play, Christopher's going to get ready. But as you stand, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. We're going to do something a little different today. If you're out there today, heads bowed, eyes closed, just respect other people's privacy for a moment. And I want you to get before the presence of holy, holy, holy God. Now I want to ask you this question. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, are you willing to today? God is seeking you. He is drawing you. Would you heed His calling? If that's you and you feel like God is pounding on your chest, that that you feel like you just want to hide from His holiness, He wants to save you from that. He's got grace and mercy for that sense of sinfulness. So if you want to trust Jesus today I'm going to ask you just to slide up a hand and say Pastor Ryan I want to trust in Jesus today as my Savior and my Lord I just want to see you slide up your hand if that's you, I've never done that before praise God father for the rest of us would you would you give us a new sense and view of your holiness that we might worship you anew would you give us a new sense of our own holiness that we are now in a right standing with you, and we are now set apart for a purpose so that we might go be missionaries in our community. Father, we need you. Help us, Father. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Thank you for Jesus that he did what we couldn't. Thank you that it's by his grace that he calls us a son and a child of God. Thank you that you did that for us. Now help us to worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. amen. If you'd like to respond in some way.